an Ironic Media production. Visit us at I-R-O-N-I-C-K media.com. All right, welcome back to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. If this podcast has been broadcasting healing vibes into your life, please follow on Apple and Spotify and leave a review. Your review helps other people find this podcast and the transformations continue. And don't forget to share this podcast with anyone you think will benefit. Let's heal together. Hey, 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 it's Amy, your hosting coach. I hope you're enjoying the summer just as much as I am, if not more. This summer, I've selected my most favorite episodes of all time because after 200 episodes, I have quite a lot of content and I don't want you to miss these episodes. We're going to be listening to stories about near-death experiences, talking to angels, how to navigate a dark night of the soul, and how to upgrade your health and change your mindset. These episodes will definitely be worth your time and attention. So let's get started. Welcome to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. In this show, I'll be sharing messages of hope, healing, and transformation. I'll teach you how to shift your mindset, conquer your fears, and become the best version of you. You'll hear incredible stories of transformation and about the extraordinary journey I've been on for well over a decade. My connection with energy is so strong, and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's get started. All right, today on the podcast, I have Mark Gover and he is back. We had him on earlier this year. We were talking about his two books, The End of Upside Down Thinking, which is blowing my mind always. Every time I look at it, I pick it up and I'm like, there's yet another level that I've just like reconsidered about life. And then you had the podcast that actually initiated this podcast. I don't know if you remember that, but I found your podcast and I was like, this is amazing. It was so dense. Each episode I listened to multiple times because it really contains so much information, which is why there's nine episodes, right? Something like that. It's yeah. small. Yeah. And I keep saying, I want you to do another uh, series. I would love to hear whatever that series would be, but I know your podcast probably took a lot of time and effort and you know, there's a lot of splicing and a lot of different interviews within one particular episode. But anyway, so Mark is a freaking genius. I know it. I love the fact that I get this chance to talk to him. He just wrote this other book, The End to Upside Down Liberty, which by the way, guys, obviously is very timely as Mark seems to do. He was got his first book out in 2018, did the podcast in 19, 2020. You did your Upside Down Living book and now the Liberty book. Obviously right now on this planet, we're going through so much. It's awfully confusing. For anybody who is struggling with trying to understand what is going on and why, if you're trying to look for the spiritual aspects, obviously you're here at the podcast and we've talked about some of those things like this grand awakening that's happening. The fact that in 2020, it felt like we were going through the birth canal and like the birth pains of like letting go of the old and like trying to release into the new. Mark is here to talk about (laughs) the spiritual parts of politics and the new world that we are wanting to create. But in order to create that new world, we're going to have to deconstruct the world that we currently live in. And that is what is happening. And so (laughs) Mark is here to explain it all. And I'm so excited. I feel like a kid in the candy store when I get to talk to him because I can just sense how, how intelligent he is. I said to him when we first started, I feel like I get to like jump into like a college class or something like that with him and take my whole understanding of things to the next level. In fact, I was trying to assess all the ways in which I've 
deconstructed my own reality to then bring in the new. It started out with meditation and realizing what my thoughts were. By the way, Mark, welcome to the show. Sorry for <laughs> not welcoming you sooner. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for that introduction. I'm excited to talk to you again. Me too, obviously. So I started out with meditation. I deconstructed like basically what are my thoughts? Who gave them to me? Why do I have them? And that was sort of like, I look at it like I am the computer and the programmer. So I can switch from different realities and be like observing myself as a computer or observing myself as like the person who can change the computer and the programs that are in it. So it's kind of crazy. But (laughs) I have learned this process of being able to delete and rewrite programming so that my reality or the computer expresses itself differently. And this that's a little bit conceptual and like a little bit weird, but that is really what I really want to hit home to everybody is that they really have this possibility of being both the computer and the programmer. It just depends on which person you want to be or which thing you want to be to change your reality. So Mark is here to tell us how we can leave this reality where it seems like nothing is really making sense. A lot of people are gripping to the 3D reality in which there's a lot of rules, a lot of structure, a lot of limits. And basically, when we when we break free, we realize we've been free the whole time, but we were just subscribing to this programming. Did I ruin it? <laughs> no, you're saying it very well. Using uh, different sorry. words than I've used, but, I, but it's great. Yeah, I mean, I was just watching some stuff about The Matrix because obviously The Matrix came out in 1999 and it really helped us to set up this idea of like where we were going and what we needed to understand about the reality that we have. And it's kind of cool, like even now, what is it now, 20, 22 years later, you can look back and see how they're still trying to give us information about the future, basically right now, about how we can understand our reality. So Mark. I know that you used to be working on Wall Street, used to work in Silicon Valley, and you've had your own spiritual awakening. You wrote your books, The Upset and Upside Down Thinking and Living. And now you have this Liberty book. Like, What made you write this Liberty book? Well, I never expected to write on these topics of political and economic theory, which is really what the book's about. It combines spirituality into those areas, but I wasn't thinking about those things. I wasn't really thinking about any of this stuff five years ago. And that's been my journey so far is that I become interested in something and I realize the implications and then I get tugged into it and I want to learn more. But this book in particular was spurred by current events, watching the world unfold around the time of the pandemic and watching the political atmosphere time and seeing how like basic ideas around health and medicine were becoming politicized. That seemed kind of strange because shouldn't that be just subjective? Shouldn't we say that something is either healthy or not, or there are studies or there aren't? But those positions became politicized. But also we, we saw that political decisions were affecting our daily lives in a different right. way than they were before. So all of a sudden, the government got to decide whose business was essential and whose wasn't. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big deal for people if you're a small business and you just, you're not allowed to open. So things like that, I mean, and it, it became almost like the government was micromanaging people's lives to different degrees, telling people what kind of risk they were allowed to take rather than letting them decide for themselves what risk they're taking. And so I I began looking into things, looking at the media and seeing, because that was a big part of it for me, where there were stories that I would see, whether on social media or YouTube or, or various outlets, and then I would see the mainstream media say that it didn't happen or <laughs> the, the, the video would be deleted. Right. I remember actually early on in the pandemic, there was something from a hospital worker, this was maybe April or something of 2020, 
who talked about the media was overblowing the risk. And that was not acceptable, apparently, because the video was taken down and mm. things like that began happening more and more, which is right. curious to me as a person who just says, well, there should be information and people can take in and they can say, well, I don't believe that or I believe that this person's credible or not. That mm -hmm. wasn't happening. There was a narrative. Right. And it, and the media was saying it was going to be this and the global organizations and the government. And if you didn't conform to that narrative, there was a problem always. So light bulb started to go off for me because I've seen this. I saw this professionally. Actually, I saw a lot of very similar things there of corruption in those areas, which I wish didn't exist, but they existed. And I saw some of my clients be very affected by this. So that stuck with me, but also in the realm of consciousness studies, the idea mm. that consciousness is beyond the brain, that we that consciousness survives bodily death. There's tons of science on this coming from the US government, right. psychic spying programs, the University of Virginia, Princeton, like there's tons of stuff. Yeah. But people act like it doesn't exist. Right. Because it doesn't fit what they understand or know. And also it's threatening to the paradigm. That right. If those things are real, if people are psychic and they do live past the body, what does that mean for the scientific paradigm? So I saw all these parallels. And right. so I wasn't quite as, I wasn't intimidated by it as much as, oh, this is a pattern I've seen before. Instead of saying that these people who are being censored are crazy, I'm actually more inclined to want to know what they have to say because there's a reason they're being censored. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, totally. Well, you know, Mark, I, I've been in the health and wellness industry for 16 years. So I've seen how little by little they've censored me and other folks that I've been following. I mean, even back as far as 10 years back, I remember you couldn't say certain things like about essential oils. And I remember being like, that's not fair. Like if I experience this thing with this essential oil and I talk about it, I'm supposedly telling people they can heal something when they can't or they could hurt themselves. I'm like, this should be coming from, you know, what you were saying is like the person that should have the ability to decide whether this person is credible or not. But now outside sources were deciding whether we were credible or not. It's like, this is my personal experience. I am credible because it is my personal experience. It, if I believe it and that whether you believe it or not, is totally different, but I believe it. And I should be able to say that, you know, and that's freedom of speech. But I saw so many times where people were just being deplatformed and even down to like Dr. McCullough, like a couple months ago, getting deplatformed. A lot of people are like, that's great. You know, <laughs> that he's taken down. He's given a lot of misinformation. I'm like, hello. Like there are a lot of people who got healed because of what he had suggested, including myself. So, you know, I, and the thing is, is I'm like, well, he's a doctor and he has lots of information and resources and education. And I choose to believe that he's telling the truth. I use my own gut to follow what he was saying. It wasn't like I blindly was like, oh, I'm going to do everything he says. Every single thing that I've ever tried, and I'm sure Dave Asprey will say that too. It's like, you're, you, you kind of have a litmus test. You're like, uh, how bad is this going to be if this goes badly? Yeah. That's okay. I don't mind having that choice, but it seems like that choice has been taken away and so many others are trying to be taken away. So yeah. keep going, Mark. I'm sorry. Well, I no, you, you said it really well. You're getting to the essence of what I'm trying to get at, which is what is liberty really? Mm. Who gets to decide that? Does liberty come from outside sources like the government or are we innately free? Now, I think we would agree on this and probably your audience as well, is that we are innately free spiritual beings. So when you believe that, this concept of, of government, which we'll get into, the way we do it now, at least, is problematic because they're making these decisions for us mm. that we should be able to make. And if we make a mistake, we can make a mistake too. We might interpret data improperly. But why are we fully entrusting this third party to say, you're going to decide all this for us? There's mm -hmm. risk in everything. Every intervention you take, totally. any food you take, there's a risk in it. Yeah. So should we have the liberty to take that risk for ourselves when it comes to our own body? 
And one of the core principles, which we'll get into that I talk about, and this is a subset of libertarian philosophy. This is coming from someone who didn't like understand the differences between Democrats, Republicans, libertarians. I really didn't know that. But what I'm advocating for is, is what some libertarians would agree with, but some would disagree with. And it's known as the non-aggression principle. And this is the, the basic principle underlying everything, which is that you don't initiate aggression against any person, meaning their body or their private property, things that they own. It's very simple in that way. And initiating aggression would mean things like physical violence, fraud, extortion, coercion, Mm. theft. Don't initiate those things. And if someone initiates upon you or others, there's a right to self-defense. It's a pretty simple principle. It gives a lot of individual liberty. And if one believes that principle to the core, which I think aligns with spiritual principle, that's why I like it so much. It's like totally what what I was researching in other areas. That's what you see in the near-death experience. This is important to start here. I'm going to talk about this in my book too. In near-death experiences, people have a life review often in 20 Mm to 25% of the cases where they relive their lives. They relive events through the eyes of the people that they impacted. Sometimes they feel the third party impacts. So one man that I interviewed, Danian Brinkley, had four near-death experiences. He relived his combat days in Vietnam. He relived the deaths of the people that he killed through their eyes. And then he felt the pain of the children who no longer had a father. Mm. So there's this rippling effect of consciousness that we're all interconnected. And that's what my, my first two books, my podcasts are about mm-hmm. that we're like whirlpools within a stream of consciousness. We're interconnected, but we seem to be uh, individual and separate, but there is this, what some would call a natural law in, in the universe itself that you don't want to do harm to people because that will come back to you. You're going to feel it yourself. Totally. Totally. And I feel like the more you meditate, the more you connect with the quantum field, you really, truly know it. Like I have, I struggle killing a mosquito that I know will bite me because I'm going to have a, <laughs> a week long battle within my body with that mosquito. Cause like I'll have a lump and it'll be itchy. But like, I look at that mosquito. I'm like, I see the light in you and I feel it in me. Right. And if I kill you, I know that there's a part of me that I'm killing, but I just don't want to deal with that bump, you know, for a week. So like, I get that. I so am close to that, like killing, pulling, out weeds or anything like that, I really struggle because I understand that connection so deeply. That's what you're talking about is that connection with everyone. And and therefore, to initiate, to violate someone in any way is extremely problematic. Even with the case of the mosquito, like, I don't know, who knows how we'll go in a life review or what the cosmic law is. (laughs) I'm just, I'm I'm going with the facts. (laughs) But you could argue that in some cases, it's self-defense, that you, you have to protect yourself. And that's something I do emphasize in the book, because I, I think ultimately we're, we're here to serve and evolve, mm. but we do that best when we are in the best state individually. So that's David true. Hawkins, who is one of my favorite spiritual teachers, he says, your contribution to the world is the perfection of your own self. So that. the way I, I totally agree with that. I think we perfect ourselves, but we do that so that we can be of service to others because the other is the self. Mm-hmm. And this gets into the debate of individualism versus collectivism, which is such a big deal these days. Collectivism is the collective matters, the common good matters. The individualists would say, well, the individual is what matters. And I think it's a blend. Yeah. That it's both. And that gets lost. The problem is that, and we've seen this with governments throughout the ages, whether it's a fascist government or a communist, those would, might be considered two ends of, of different of a spectrum, but in many ways, they're very similar. They're similar in that the individual is lost and all that matters is the state. Mm. So if something is in the best interest of the government or the state, then then the individual doesn't matter. That's extremely problematic because you can justify horrible things with Mm -hmm. that. And I see that happening now in a very dangerous way that we've seen throughout history. But I mentioned, I want to bring this back to spirituality because 
that becomes intolerable and also inconsistent with spirituality to say that the individual doesn't matter, that you can, you don't have a right to protect yourself and, and defend yourself. That has to be incorporated too. I, I just wanted to pause with that because that, that the way you put that, I haven't really thought about it. This idea of having to defend yourself because it felt wrong, but it's totally right because it, it does preserve everything that I've worked for to be the highest and best version of myself. So I'm just thinking more globally than the mosquito. <laughs> um, sure, but it's yeah. a good example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and okay. that's also a tough one because you could argue, well, maybe you could swat it away and not kill it. And that there are ways to do it in a sensitive manner, which I think we should always which try I did. to do. I actually but, did do that. Yeah. I was like, please just, please just don't fight me. <laughs> right. But um, let's take a different situation, Amy. Let's say you have a tiger running at you. Yeah. What are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to say, well, this tiger's made of love and light, which it is at mm-hmm. some level, but yeah. at another level, which is a paradox, these are all paradoxes. If you don't do anything, you might get eaten. And right. then Amy can't serve the world, which is right. a loss to the world. So how do we, it's who's going to make those decisions for us? We have to make the decision and then live with that karma. That's how mm-hmm. I see it. Yeah. There's lots of different ways that could go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, so I, going into uh, realms in which I'm surprised to be going into like does the tiger exist how can i avoid the tiger and not like you know all these things i go back to like the 3d world which is like oh all right well i can use the tiger for me and all that other stuff and make use of the tiger in that way but whatever (laughs) we're getting (laughs) off the topic well amy i want to pause on that because it's really important and especially for an audience like yours which is the appreciation of paradox that there are things that contradict each other but are true at the same time Oh, I know. Until, until we understand paradox and can like, live with that, it, this is impossible to even think about. So does the tiger exist? No. At some level, the tiger doesn't exist. At some level, the world doesn't exist. There's one consciousness. Erwin Schrodinger, the Nobel Prize winning physicist, he said, in truth, there's only one mind. We're in right. this infinite stream, right? Yeah. There's whirlpools, but really there's no whirlpool because it's just water. Right. That's one level. At another level, there is a whirlpool. There are multiple whirlpools. There's variation within the stream. So I'm, I'm reminded again of David Hawkins, who was talking about the, the sage, spiritual sage, Ramana Maharshi, who used to say things like, the world that we see doesn't exist. And Hawkins would say, yes, that's true. But then to all the people in the world that are suffering, and they feel pain and suffering, hmm. he, was, he said it would be a spiritual error to ignore their suffering, even though at some level their suffering doesn't exist. So it's like we have to hold this idea that there is no world and there is no tiger with the fact that we do exist and there is pain and suffering. And even the Bhagavad Gita, talks about it's set in a battlefield and i'm not an expert scholar on this so i'm going to give a very uh, general perspective some of your listeners might know more about it than i have even though i've read it and, and studied vedic philosophy but arjuna is on the battlefield and krishna who is the the elevated being guiding him is, is telling him to engage in the battle without attachment to what happens to him in it but there is set on a battlefield while there is no world there is this desire to help in a way and that means defending oneself and others, even though if we can't understand where that comes from. Again, I was watching the matrix. It was uh, a video that I'll drop the link below. Cause I, I emailed it to myself. Cause I'm like, I can't lose this. I need to, I need to share this with everybody. They sort of break down the matrix and it's, there's a similar kind of feeling in the matrix where he's like, I believe that, I mean, I'm going to do it wrong, say it wrong, but he's basically like, I believe that I'm here for a purpose, but I'm not sure that I'm actually here with a purpose. It's this paradox. So it it keeps going back to this idea of like, there's this quantum field where we're all one, but we are this individual in this body. So that it's that paradox of like, I am part of the collective, but I am also not part of the collective. (laughs) 
And right. also what I'm creating here, it, like if, for instance, in, in the matrix, there's a part where Neo is dodging all the bullets, right? And like, that's like a very famous scene. But one of the bullets actually hits him. And it's because he had a second of doubt where that he couldn't, you know, bend his mind and believe that he could dodge them. So it just proved how like human he was in that every once in a while we have these doubts. We forget that we are creating a reality. It jars us back into this reality where we're, we're going to, we're going to lose people. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, jars us back into this reality where we're like, what the fuck is actually happening? And then we're like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm back into my my groove of things. I can create my reality again. So every once in a while we get pulled out. And I, I see, I wanted to do this conversation with you, Mark, so badly because I'm seeing people gripping to this 3D reality, this, the rules, the structure, the the information, the uh, programming so deeply that like, even when it doesn't make sense, when it like, if you were to say like one plus one and it's like equals 50, 50,000, like they literally are like, no, it, it really does. One plus one does equal 50,000. You're like, no, 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 no. It's never equal 50,000, but you just want it to. And you're, re- you're refusing to let go of that understanding. So I'm, 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 I'm shocked at how obvious there's some, there's so much information out there that's so contradictory and so apparent, but people refuse to see it. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> I, yeah, I feel the same <laughs> way. I feel the same way. And I wouldn't say whether or not one sees it is tied to intelligence level. Because I know really, really smart people intellectually who don't see it either. Yes. And so that, that gets to the question, how is this possible? <laughs> and I, I talk about this in the book as well. The concept of mind control. It's a very, it's a real thing. It's like a technology. There's, there are ways to impact Steps. people's minds mm-hmm. such that they're unable to see contradictory information. And especially if they built a trust, like a trust in certain political parties or in the media, mm. it's the, the rationale al- almost is. And I tried to like deconstruct this for other people. I don't, when I, when I see their thought process, it seems like they're saying, well, this source said it's true. And I can't conceive of the fact that they could either be intentionally telling me false information or just they're misled themselves. That couldn't be because they're everywhere. And these people seem very trustworthy. They seem really nice. They've been doing this for a long time. And if this fact were wrong, then that would mean I have to reconsider so many other things. And that couldn't right. be because I, no, no, I'm well-educated. No, that couldn't be possible. Right. It's like too much there. It's like a it computer is. that explodes. Right, right, right. And I remember that in philosophy class, a lot of times I would be getting a concept. I would just like, feel like my head was wrapping around it, but then it would just spring right back to its original form. And I would just lose the concept. Like I just couldn't go there. It was because I was blocked. Like there was something there that I just didn't want to give up or let go of. But now that I'm a much older, like everything's up for suspect. (laughs) Like I question everything, which is back to what I was saying in the beginning. It's like, I realized that I've unplugged from the traditional medical system. Like I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm in charge. I want to know what's going to help me heal. I'm open to all all information, but I will go through each thing myself. That was one of the first things I deconstructed. Another was just like a bunch of beliefs that like, for instance, I've mentioned this on the podcast, like that I would always need a strong deodorant or I'd always drink Diet Coke or that I'd only make a hundred grand in a year for the rest of my life. Like there was stupid thoughts in there that I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Why do I believe that? Yeah. So I've, I've essentially unplugged from these things. And lately it's been this whole unplugging from politics, like being like, what is going on here? Really? Like, what is this puppet show that's happening? That's where I'm at right now. But I, I unplugged from the media back in 2005. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. Yeah. Like, I mean, I was just like, nope. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I was living in New York City right after 9-11. So a lot of people were like, how can you do that? How can you put yourself at such risk and not pay attention to what's going on there? Don't worry. I know that I'll, I'll ha- have the information that I need. I just had a gut feeling that I would know yeah. if I needed well, to know. What I find, and maybe you found this too, is that people's worldviews are so heavily influenced by the media that they take in. And it's to the point where they're almost parroting what they heard on the news. And that is the truth as that, that is the world. Yes. I feel like people are literally walking around as programs, which is also discussed in The Matrix. So revisit that if you'd like, how the programs are just running through people. And all right. So tell me more about mind control. Okay. Well, this is another (laughs) tough subject to get into because the reality of mind control implies that there's a degree of secrecy in the world that's hard for us to accept. Because a lot of this is done covertly, like mind control experiments on human beings, Mm. which the US government has been involved in. And all this I'm talking about now is publicly available stuff. It was secretive for a while, but it's been declassified through various things. But after World War II, the United States recruited former Nazi scientists under the guise of national security. And maybe some of them actually did believe that. Well, the Nazis experimented on people. They had valuable knowledge. And in Japan, there there was similar stuff going on. They recruited Japanese for this purpose as well. But they recruited people who did some horrible, horrible things to other human beings. And that work continued in the US of basically inducing in people certain thoughts and that can be done through hypnosis or various degree, uh, forms of torture. There are mm. ways to program the mind and create an alter ego, really. Right. This doesn't happen to all of us to that degree, even though they've done, they've done this with certain people. But the, the technology, the ability to do that to someone's mind, if you understood that, which governments seem to be able to do, then think about the ways that could be employed through the media and other things to essentially program people to think a certain way and to make it difficult for them to absorb other topics. So as you and I talk about this and we're observing the same thing where it seems we don't understand how people can't see, can't see it, or they don't question it. It might be due to actual programming that they don't realize is happening. Right. My wife and I have discussed this before. It's like back when the pandemic was really like at the height of the pandemic, you could look around and you wouldn't know that you were in a pandemic. Like there was like you could be in your own home and not realize you were part of a pandemic. It's only because of outside information that's been coming in that we knew that we were in a quote unquote pandemic. And so like part of us was thinking like, well, back in the early 1900s, before there was all this, you know, radio and TV and people telling us they just got sick and died. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily know that there was a whole mess of people that were getting sick. So that was kind of like what we're, our thinking was, is like, wow, like what is real? Like, you know, is it just because this information is coming in or is it because it's actually happening in front of us? Like, you know, we got sick, so we know that it existed. It's not that it, we didn't. But so you see what I'm saying is we started to question what is real? What is, how would we know this otherwise if we didn't have all this other stuff? And also, what is it that you don't know or that we collectively don't know because it isn't told to us? Mm. It just opens this continuing mind expansion. Going from what we're taught in school and what we're taught in the media, it puts us in a box of potentiality. And when we expand and realize, wait, we actually don't know all those things to be true, even though we thought they were true, then it just opens up to new possibilities. And where, where I've gone most recently with my new book, and at Upside Down Liberty, is the political system, as it seems like you have as well, of like, what are the paradigms in governance? 
that we've never questioned, just grown up saying that this is how it works. And we have Congress and we do have these elections and they make the rules and that you obey it. And like, that's just the system and government's there to help. They're here to help society. That's why they exist. And they're a benevolent force. That's an exaggeration, but that's kind of like what we're taught in school, right? Now, even though many of us would question that, but that's what we're taught. If you go to read the civics books, yeah, that's how government works. So that's what I've been looking at really is like, well, what is government? How does it work in the modern world? How can we deconstruct its basic elements to build a society that doesn't have the same flaws? So, Mark, I know you've looked at the CIA documents that have come out around the fact that we live in a hologram. And one of the things that was so interesting that both my son, as a, I guess he was five years old at the time, said to me, it was like, let's stop talking about the pandemic because it helps it to grow. And and that's basically what the CIA was saying in their document it was like, the more we perseverate on a certain thing, the more it grows, the more it becomes part of the reality. And so one of the things that also was in the document was like, if we decided to believe the opposite all at one time, then we could easily flip and change that reality. So there is so much power in that. And definitely within the podcast and my own healings and my healings with others, I share how it's how important it is to go from this victim mentality of like, I can't do anything about my circumstances to I create my world. And if I if I accept and I own every part of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, then I can learn to change and and rewrite and create something new. So yeah, so you you know, I'm glad that you brought up, you know, these we we tend to think that, like you said, they're benevolent, but when we realize that they have had this information, such as we live in a hologram and we can create it, and they haven't really like told us this, <laughs> we have to go searching for it. Or like Mark does, he he researches all these kinds of things, these documents and these studies that they've done. We start to think, well, wait a second, if they're not openly telling us this, why? Why? <laughs> and that's gets into bigger questions of what is humanity? How? What's the history of humanity? And I don't have answers to all those things, but I have right. lots of questions about it. If we stick to the here and now, though, of like why is certain information being censored and why can't we talk about certain things? If those in power want to stay in power, it would make sense for them to want to disempower everyone Mm -hmm. else. And the structure of government, the way we do it now, enables that. So this is stuff that I never even considered. If we look at the nature of government, in political theory, it's known as the state. It's an inherently monopolistic body. And in other areas, we say we don't like monopolies, but somehow a political monopoly is like, okay, it has a monopoly, uh, it attempts to maintain a monopoly of the use of force. Like so many areas that we could look at that the government does, it's, it's monopolistic. There isn't much competition, if any. Usually we don't like that, but with government, it seems it's like it's okay because it's, the government's there to help us. Another feature that is a little bit strange is that the government provides us with services. So like Netflix is a service provider gyms or service providers. And when you have a service provider, there's a two-way street. Like the service provider is going to provide certain things. And if it doesn't, then there are repercussions, maybe go find someone else. And typically there's a contract in some way, an explicit contract between the two parties. Yet with the government, we don't have that. We don't have, there aren't penalties if it doesn't do the duties it says it's going to do. So all of a sudden, it's like, wait a second, we're living under this monopolistic body. We don't have a contractual relationship. It's not as free as we've been. We're not as free as things are made we out thought to we be. We were, right. Right. And government makes laws and following the law is the moral thing to do. But what if the government sets a law that's immoral? Like to give an extreme example in Nazi Germany, people had to do horrible things 
to other human beings to follow the law. Mm -hmm. And so if you disobeyed the law, you were being immoral, but then you'd be more. So there's a, there's something wrong with the morality in all of this, right? By following your own moral conscience, you end up doing something immoral by disobeying the law. And so like, there's all these things in, in the structure that just don't work out. And that's, where I think we can start to unplug and say, wait, no, we don't have to do it this way. It's mm -hmm. not truly a voluntary system. It's really not. It's coercive. So taxation is a, is a good one. Mm -hmm. Taxation is the government's price, quote unquote, for its services that we haven't explicitly agreed to <laughs> in a contract. And they can set the price however they want and you can't do anything about it. And if you don't agree with it, then you go to jail. There's an inversion. One could argue that taxation is akin to theft. It's Amy has this property, her money that she earned, and the government says, well, you need to give me some of this, otherwise you go to jail. In any other circumstance, we'd say, no, no, no that's coercive theft. Mm -hmm. right? I can't do that to you as a citizen, but when the government yeah. does it, they have a special privilege. <laughs> so like right becomes wrong. There's an inversion of morality. There's weird stuff that we don't need because why couldn't, why couldn't we have all those services provided by service providers where there is a con contractual relationship that's voluntary. Totally. You don't want the service, you don't have it. And that's what I'm looking at is what kind of society could we create where we get rid of those problems? What do you think that looks like? The answer is I don't know. I don't know what it looks like practically, but in principle, I, I would say that I know. And others who subscribe to these philosophies, which is the non-aggression principle. Hmm. The non-aggression, don't initiate aggression against anyone or their property. Government initiates aggression all the time, as we currently do it. So we can't have government. We need to have voluntary exchanges. And people can form their own communities based on rules that they voluntarily subscribe to. And those communities might look very differently, depending on... And that's why I say I don't know how it will ultimately look. Right. But you could have people that are very independent say, I'm not going to be part of a community, but you know what? I want this security service. So I'm going to pay for a police-like service, for example, but I don't want these other services. So I'm not going to pay for it. And I don't want to be part of a community and that's okay. But others might want to have a different kind of a lifestyle where they could be together. Or maybe there'll be big things that almost look like nations, but they're really just big memberships because it's voluntary in ways that our current government is. It would be so cool if we were able to have more of those kind of contractual uh, agreements with the people who are in power. Like, it's so amazing how they, Biden, for instance, is, you know, saying, oh, we could never mandate things. And then he's now mandating them. It's like, wait a second, <laughs> that was part of my contract with you that you weren't going to mandate anything. And then you started mandating, I would end that contract with you, right? Like, if you stop giving me movies to watch, if you're Netflix, I would be like, I'm done with you. <laughs> like, I don't right. have any need for you. But they started showing me, you know, some other thing um, that I didn't want to see. I'd be like, thanks, but no thanks. It would be really nice if we had more of that opportunity to keep them accountable, really. Right. That's the key is accountability. We don't have that because no matter what the government does in its current structure, it will still receive funds, whether through taxation, it can effectively print money out of thin air which is central yeah, banks. ridiculous yeah <laughs> like, so, there's so many fucking red herrings right isn't that what it's called yeah. like things that don't make sense the problem is that we end up with a, an institution running society that is inherently predatory and that's the paradigm shift is to view government not as the protector but rather as the predator I know a lot of people might have a negative yeah, reaction yeah. to that and to other things that I've said too yeah so take a deep breath in and out if that triggered you that, yeah and I know it will I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, no, it's for okay. me, it was hard too, but that's the paradigm shift. Is the, yeah, we've we been went so indoctrinated. Those. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. To believe it's one way, but Dude, it's not. It, it, it has not been easy waking up to this new 
awareness that I was plugged into something that I didn't realize I was plugged into, you know, and then unplugging from it has been difficult, but worthwhile for sure. And we, we have to, to protect ourselves because if we don't, we don't even realize there's a tiger there potentially running at us. We might not see it. The, the, right. the spiritual term that's often referenced, and I love to reference this, is the wolf in sheep's clothing. Mm. That summarizes everything. Yeah. Uh, to me, I view modern government as a wolf in sheep's clothing because it, ma- it masquerades as benevolent when, in fact, when we look at its actions, they're not benevolent. And to me, they violate spiritual principles. And that's where I always come back to is like, this is violating the golden rule. I didn't right. explicitly agree to this. And if I don't do it, then like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. But we have, like you were alluding to this earlier. The key is a consciousness shift is to recognize this. But when we recognize it, who knows what that's going to do to the whole field of of consciousness and how society can change. Yeah. I mean, I was listening to some spiritual thinkers and and people um, who tap into the future and things like that. And this new 5D earth and all that. It's like, we're going to need something like that, a tipping point where we all just, boom, like figure out this and, and all focus on it at one time, which is why the fear is so ever ever prevalent you know it's just like constantly knocking at your door being like trying to shift you out of that new way of thinking so by putting the fear in you you get distracted because that's what it does it hijacks your brain from creation to survival you know and it also creates a dependency which is there's this big scary thing and i'm here to protect you right it's always no we're doing this to protect you we've seen that go horribly wrong throughout history Right, And I know it might sound extreme to, to make comparisons to Nazi Germany or to communist China. Or No, it's not. We far. have to be aware of these things because concentration camps don't happen on day one. That's what I like to tell people, remind people. It's like, right. you have to see the warning signs. And even in Australia now, they're building quarantine camps. Oh, God, camps. yeah. It's, so, it's honestly so very similar. And it's so very shocking how similar it is to what is playing out. Yeah, But I don't want to come at this from a place of fear. No, because that's the the other temptation is to become so overwhelmed. It's that we have to accept reality as it is. Right. Say, look, this is the reality where we incarnated now. We've seen humanity fall prey to this before. And this is an opportunity to break free from it. Something much, much, much more amazing than we've been a part of. Yeah, definitely focusing on the light, focusing on our own inner freedom, unplugging from things, asking questions is definitely the way to go. And of course, you know, there's people, I, I, I don't know if you've come across this, but I've been invited, somewhat invited to be a part of a community, I should say is best, the best way to describe it, where it's self-sustaining. So like there's going to be healers, there's going to be doctors, there's going to be people who grow food, people who fix cars, people who teach, all that, all within with this governing principle of don't do any harm and they're going to make their own rules. They'll live in the United States and among us, but they will have their own set of rules and, and somehow they can do this. I don't know. That's where we're going. And I saw this 10 years ago that we were going here because it makes more sense to live more community-like. We have gotten so far and disconnected from each other. I think this is, again, spiritually speaking, a reset in terms of us remembering why we're here, that we need each other, that Facebook interactions aren't the same as personal interactions, and going back to these smaller roots where we rely on our neighbors and things like that, and we know who our neighbors are, and we share meals with our neighbors. That's the, the mentality that we're going, I think, back to. Yeah, I agree. The political term is known as voluntarism. It's a, it's a subset of libertarian philosophy. Voluntarism is this non-aggression principle. That's really all it is, that everything you do is voluntary. You don't force things on people, but there is the right to self-defense. 
And I, I think it has to move there. And I really like the way you describe these communities where people are essentially embodying their unique talents and then able to give those to other people. I, in my book, I get into economic theory, which I want to mention here because there are a lot of misconceptions I see, which maybe in our in some way alter our consciousness or prevent us from seeing things. Mm. What you were describing essentially is a form of a free market where people are giving what they are best able to give and people consume based on the things that they need without interruption from third parties saying, no, it has to be done this way, or we're going to cut this off, or you're going to have to pay X and Y dollars, or you're going to have to give some of your money to those people without a voluntary exchange. To me, that is, it's a much more spiritually consistent economic theory to have a fully free market, because then we're doing things on our own accord without someone else telling us what to do and distorting the system. So people will talk a lot about like socialistic principles. The, the problem with that, if it's not voluntary, is that it's derived based upon intrusion upon private property. You can't have a socialistic system where the, the means of production and the distribution of goods, those are controlled by the government under socialism. So the things that you're producing and the, the mechanisms of production, the government says how that happens. So they're saying where the where your production goes, rather than letting consumers and producers work those things out on their own. And to me, that would distort the spiritual intelligence of the individuals interacting voluntarily. So I know capitalism gets a bad reputation. It's like, oh, well, it's just greedy people that are trying to make as much money as they can. But in that system of people interacting, they are being compensated for things that they have done, which I think is totally appropriate if they're serving people. Capitalism, as we typically conceive it, is most problematic when it's combined with the government, which I would argue is not even capitalism. When government and corporations are tied together, economically speaking, that's fascism. Most of our, our government system is working with corporations. There's a great quote from PJ O'Rourke, who said, to paraphrase, once buying and selling is controlled by legislation, the first things to be bought and sold are legislators. Because they can control the economy based on what the, the wealthy people pay them to do. And that's very problematic versus a mm -hmm. free system where people are interacting and holding each other accountable, essentially through the financial system. If you do a bad job, you go out of business. It all comes back to this like accountability. You know, if they were right. doing their job, then, then great. If they're not, right. you're out. Within we all have to live by that. We all have yeah. to, everyone else who's not... It, part of government has to live by that. Like if you don't do a good job, you don't have business. Yes, I, I agree. Or you don't have money. <laughs> I know a lot of people would, would, but then a lot of people would say, but we need a safety net. If Mark, what you're describing and Amy, what you're describing, there's no safety net for people that, that are less privileged. And I would say that is true. We don't have a built-in safety net. By the way, the, th the safety net only exists because of coercive theft. And it's not so virtuous how the safety net got there. We're just going to tax everyone and take their money whether or not they want to. And the taxes are going to go towards causes they might not even morally agree with, but we're going to do it anyway. And then, and then we have a safety net. That's problematic because we started with something that's anti-spiritual, at least in my opinion, to start with that. But the safety net is going to have to come from the individuals within society. The responsibility is going to be on us. And to me, it's a karmic responsibility. Right. So what we're talking about, Amy, I think is not tomorrow necessarily. Right. And I say this in my book, this is like, way out there mm -hmm. in a literal form. We might build towards it. And we I think we have to envision it first. You think? We definitely we do. <laughs> we have to envision it. Yeah. yeah. The people have, I know, I, I, I'm caveating this because it's so counter to what we're taught. And, um, it's hard. But, but I think charities and individual charitability will be more automatic 
because people will say, wait a second, yes, I'm very rich, but it would be karmically problematic for me not to do something about these individuals over here who are less privileged, rather than saying, we're going to steal from people and that's going to be our safety net. The safety net's going to have to come from us. And think about how much better that is when you voluntarily give versus you feel forced to give. There's just a different... One of the political philosophers who I quote, Larkin Rose, he says, it's charity through violence. Yeah. What are the repercussions of that spiritually? And I don't like it. I don't, I yeah, think, yeah, it doesn't I mean, feel good. I would have, I would have a problem being part of that where I felt like I, w- I was supporting that violence, if you want to call it, which might be an extreme term, but in a sense it is, it's violating someone's property. What are the repercussions for that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, And I think because that system existed, I think there was a lack of turning inward and being like, who needs my help? Because like, if you think that somebody else is doing this, there's a uh, a principle in psychology that says, you know, if a hundred people are watching, let's say something awful happening, they're, they're more likely, the more people there are that are watching, the less likely they are to take action because they think it's being taken care of by somebody else. So I think there might be some sort of principle in there. It's like, we have this understanding that those that are less fortunate are being taken care of in the ways that they can be taken care of versus this idea of like, no, wait, wait, what can I do? What can my neighbor do? What can we do together to help these people who are maybe in our community right now? I think there's a different, there's a shift there of like to bringing the awareness to the individual versus allowing somebody else to handle it. Yeah. And we've been assuming that they've been handling and oftentimes they're not (laughs) because we've been handing over our money. So we're like, clearly they must be doing something with it. We assume that we have these responsible parents. We have a mommy and right. daddy government, and that's the paradigm shift. The, the protector is actually the predator. Right. That's the shift. So then everything the government does starts to look different. Like, is this policy really helping in the way they say it is? Or what are the side effects of this? And when we ha- open our consciousness, I think good things can happen. Yeah. I saw Drew Canole posted something that was pretty amazing. And he's like, the people that are seeing what's going on right now have been victimized by somebody the medical system has failed them. They have reason to believe that they shouldn't trust just everything. And so that's usually the people who wind up waking up and being like, wait a second, let me see what's going on here. Yeah. And I, I, I'm going to repeat this because I'm still baffled by it. Really, really smart people who maybe have been more protected by the system and haven't experienced the difficulties as much. Maybe that's part of it. Really mm-hmm. smart people are oblivious to this and are defensive of the system would get right. very upset by a lot of this conversation. Ye- oh, that you definitely. are, Mark, you're an extremist. This is total oh, yeah. paranoia. That, you're, mm-hmm. that would be the mentality, I'm sure. Yes. I've come across that where people think that it, when I speak up, which is not that often because I want people to wake up on their own. I don't like to hand them the information. I want them to find it on their own. I think it has to do with the reticular activating system, to be honest. I think that it matches what they currently know. And so they continue to see it. But at some point, you and I, and those that are awake to what's going on, have purposely disrupted, let's say, the matrix or the neural network or the reticular activating system and and figured out there might be more to this than I thought. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm still working this out in my own mind of like how, especially in the spiritual community, because I would say there are people who are very spiritually awakened and can see through the quote unquote matrix as you see it in certain ways, but in other ways that we might not see eye to eye or they might disagree and they might defend the system. Yep. So that's maybe the more perplexing aspect of society, the spiritual community. And so I've been trying to understand it. Me too. Because there there are people that I'm like, this person, they're so awakened. 
And I agree with a lot of things they say. And then these other things were just completely in a different universe. Totally. And I go back to Ken Wilber. I mentioned this in my second book, In End Upside Down Living, and in my third book, In End Upside Down Liberty. Ken Wilber talks about lines of development. He talks about waking up, cleaning up, and growing up, and probably others. But the idea is that we develop in different ways that are almost independent from each other. So you can have someone that's totally spiritually awakened, but they haven't done the inner shadow work and they haven't cleaned up properly, or they haven't grown up in certain ways. They haven't matured. They haven't accepted the reality of evil or whatever it is. And they're relatively independent. And as we evolve spiritually, we need to be, we need to hit all of the various lines of development. So maybe that's what it is, is that there's Mm -hmm. just a deficiencies in certain ways. And I'm always looking for this myself too. Like we, there's always deficiencies of things where we can improve upon it. Right. But maybe that explains why there's such a disparity. Well, and I also do believe that there needs to be people having different experiences in order to create a new reality. Yeah. I, I do think that maybe you and I are more visionary people. Obviously this podcast is definitely out there for most what somebody has to see through it somebody does in order to create something new. And there are other people that are serving. And maybe that's where what you were just talking about, the the hugely awakened, but yet they they believe in different things. They're they're serving versus envisioning. Yeah. And they might be doing a very great thing in that. Yeah. Yeah. But then they also might be harming themselves. That's where I get worried that by not seeing the tiger running at them. Right. And who knows, maybe it's the case that certain people need to have that happen. Right. In order to learn and grow. We don't know. Like you said, you can't force people with this stuff. And what always drives me, why I have like stacks of books everywhere right now. And, you know, like why I write these books and I'm always researching is I want to make the information available if people are interested in it. Mm-hmm. I want to synthesize for people, but you can't force people. You can't force feed them. And you don't no. know, maybe they are not supposed to wake up in this way in this lifetime. They didn't come here for that. Yeah. Here's the thing. Let's just go back to this for one second. What you and I feel about what's going on right now is something that we know is going on. Like nobody can take it away from us. We have a deep inner knowingness, which is why we're so mind blown when people don't see it because it it is such a deep knowingness for us. And so therefore we're so reluctant to switch, you know, or change our, our feeling. And maybe that's where they're at, but like, it's hard to comprehend where they're at (laughs) at the same time in the paradox. That's what's happening. It is so rough going through this time period right now. And and all I can say is that for those of us who are awake, yes, this time is rough. Yes, we're learning a lot of stuff that we may not have wanted, but it is for our spiritual growth. Being asleep is much harder. Yeah, Feeling like you don't create the life that you want is much harder, like of a life to live. So I, I recently had somebody come to me who I've worked with that said, how did you wake me up? And I'm like, I didn't. (laughs) I just helped you to remove the things that weren't really yours that you didn't want to carry anymore. And that woke you up. And she's like, well, I want to go back to being asleep and not feeling and knowing all this stuff. And I'm like, the reason why you think you want that is because you are so far away from that, that you forgot. Like there's no energy there to remind you of how hard that life was, but you felt lost. You felt confused. You felt like you couldn't create your reality. You couldn't get your footing. You didn't know what direction or purpose you had. You didn't know why you were here. Like those are the kinds of feelings that you have when you're asleep. And then eventually you accumulate so much that it forces a spiritually transformative experience. And then you're awake and it's still scary, but you feel you have an inner knowingness that is guiding you and fueling you. 
And it's not always easy, but I do think that it is the the better of the two choices. Yeah. It's a dark night of the soul that comes. I mean, I had one, I've probably had many, but basically you get these warning signs from the universe and don't wake up. You get nudged enough. And then usually something pretty traumatic happens where you're just knocked out in some way. And it forces this new awareness. We could view what's happening on a global scale as maybe a dark night of the soul for many people. It's forcing that where we don't have a choice. We all have to think about politics. We have to look at every policy, every mandate Mm -hmm. where businesses, private businesses are being told they have to tell their employees they have to do certain things with their body or else. We're forced to look at those things, whereas before we could maybe avoid it. And maybe that's a good thing. Another just general point that's been coming through for me more strongly is this this idea that we need to have conviction when we have this understanding conviction in the protection of ourselves and our souls really that that is first and foremost that we're not going to bend to things that are immoral like there's a strength that comes with that Mm. with the spiritual understanding that we have to stand strong which maybe in other spiritual conversations doesn't come through as much I think right now it's really important though, because if you, if we bend and don't hold boundaries, that is spiritually problematic too. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, we have this deep inner knowingness, which is making us keep trying to uncover the truth as much as we are able to handle. It's endless. Yeah, it is endless. And all the while still trying to create the new from the light. So, and you know, that is the paradox there that the further you go into the dark, the more you find the light. Because you have to, like it transforms when we handle the dark, it becomes the light. Yes. And also in the process of deconstructing the dark, it could potentially prevent its reemergence in the future Yes, because then we won't fall for the same tricks. Yes. So really, and to go back to the reason why we do healing is because we have been traumatized at times. And when we release that trauma, we still have the memory of what happened, but we don't feel it at a body level. So that's what we want to do is we want to move forward with the information and the knowledge and and empowerment and create something new. And then we don't want to have to feel it like the way that it was. We want to just have that knowledge. We just want to move forward in in a more healed way. Mark, I could talk to you forever. We really need to like (laughs) hang out more. You, you, um, you, 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 you've blown my mind yet again. Your book is coming out. I think you said next week, right? late September, early October, most likely it'll be available. Okay. Awesome. The end to upside down Liberty about finding your personal freedom and why we need to unplug from all this other garbage and create our own reality. Mark, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're such a light in this world. Thank you, Amy. You as well. Thank you for having me. If you love today's podcast, you're going to love the UR Energy course. I'm going to drop the link below so you can pick up that course. I go much more in depth about the science behind healing and I share the tools and techniques that I use every single day to help my body heal. content provided by Amy Stark and or her guests on the Stark Transformation Show website or other platforms, including text, images, audio, or other formats are created for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition. Amy Stark is not a doctor or a therapist.